This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good evening and welcome to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your weekly journey through all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. My name is Chris Kuzmi. I'm Rachel Jacobs. And our beloved Mary Isette is uh, home today, uh, closing out the summer with responsible stuff. Uh, it's during the day. This is a pre-record. Uh, we're, Mary and I are fresh back from the uh, Honey, Beer, Honey Beer Summit. Uh, we were flown by the National Honey Board uh, to go to St. Louis and talk all things fermenting. Uh, beer with honey, and it was just absolutely incredible. St. Louis is a really great city. We went to Perennial Side Project, uh, Urban Chestnut, uh, and had a few days of seminars. Just got our learn on and met a lot of really amazing brewers from around the country. Uh, we look forward to hosting the National Honey Board on November 13th uh, live here in the studio. They'll be in town uh, for some other things, and we're excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, what? It's, a, it's the end of August right now. This will air sometime in September. No, wait, September 1st, right? No. Today is August yeah. 31st. It's still August. Yep, August lasts forever. All right, fine. So much right. is not. That's today, but the today that you're listening to this, it has nothing to do with that. And uh, It's all, still all technically those. summer, though. Fair enough. Uh, I'm excited about the end of summer beers, and a lot has gone on with the brewery, and I can't wait to find out what I'm actually doing when this actually airs. But today, uh, we finally worked out some, some grain removal, spent grain stuff. We are so close to, to beginning Fifth Hammer, and I can't be more excited, and I can't wait to shout it out when, when there's more to tell. Um, but today, uh, we are welcoming uh, some, some people we've, we've been wanting to have on the show for quite some time since their first book. They're fresh here in New York City from uh, the Boston Fermentation Festival, visiting the East Coast uh, from Oregon, right? Yeah. And we have uh, Christopher and Kirsten Chalky. Hello. Thanks. Welcome Hello. to the Hello. show. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Uh, how long has your trip been so far? Like, um, when did you get to Boston? Or did you go straight to Boston from We Oregon? did. We went straight to Boston. We had four days there. Then we oh. took the train to New York on Monday. Fantastic. And so we've been here for four days. We really don't want to go home. We end up at the Sonoma Fermentation Festival on Saturday. So oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of uh, moving. Yeah. A lot of fermentation festivals. A lot of fermentation festivals. <laughs> so let's go right into fermentation. We like fermentation. That's what the show is about. Um, and this is you are we're currently on, a, on, a, on your second book tour, or promoting your second book, correct? Yes. The first book was called uh, Fermented Vegetables. And how long did you? Or how long have you been fermenting? What got you into all this thing? Who are you? Why are we listening to you guys? What, why should we take it from you? I, I don't know. <laughs> so we've been fermenting since about 1999. Um, it came from a Christmas present from my mom. She put a bubbling crock, like an antique crock, full of sauerkraut bubbling under the Christmas tree. 
Under the Christmas tree. Under the Christmas oh, wow. tree, yeah. Nothing and like the fresh smell of pine and <laughs> fermenting <laughs> sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, right? <laughs> it was concerning to the kids as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it kept the cat away from eating the food. Yeah, everybody, food. really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, fair enough. So for years, that's what we did. We fermented sauerkraut, and we live on a homestead in southern Oregon and have lots of friends that are organic farmers. And... About 2009, so we did a lot of fermenting because I made cheese, Christopher makes hard cider. Um, we put in a commercial kitchen. We wanted to do a cidery. Very cool. And while we were waiting for the grafted apples to grow, I said, hey, let's ferment vegetables. It's quick. It's easy. You know, Unlike cheese, nobody's going to ever get hurt. The laws around it in Oregon are super easy. So we started fermenting commercially in about 2010. Did that for a few years and... Two things happened. One was it was super exciting to just work with the farmers seasonally. Like, what, you know, I'd get a call. I have 400 pounds of burdock. Can you oh ferment God. it? And they'd be like, I don't know. And <laughs> at the time, you'd look on the Internet, and there was nothing about fermenting most vegetables. And so usually my thought was, well, it doesn't say it'll kill me. So right. let's go for it. And so we had all these seasonal um, recipes that just came from what was in season, either on our farm or on other farms. And the flavor development was just super exciting. But at the same time, people were discovering it. And we realized at the market booth, we did so much education. That's and cool. people really wanted to understand it. So that first book sort of came out of all of that teaching at the booth, teaching then on our farm, um, thinking about CSAs, you know, A to Z. People get way too many turnips. And they're sure. like, what do I do? <laughs> so that was sort of... The beginning of, and then we decided teaching and writing, and all of that was a lot lighter work than heavy crocs. Than heavy crocs. Than yeah. heavy crocs. So we sort of switched gears. <laughs> How big is the farm, and what are you growing on the farm? Uh, 40 acres up in the wow. mountains. So it's hillside. Kirsten won't let me have a tractor because there's too many hillsides to roll over. Um, so we, yeah, we have all those cider apples and a lot of heritage stuff going on. And then uh, our son is also a. Uh, does restoration work, so we've got a lot of baby trees on the property as well. Oh, wow. So, and Kirsten's always trying to smuggle beavers onto the property, but it's kind of... <laughs> 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 you have to actually smuggle them in Oregon. They're illegal. That's my Even. favorite joke right now. <laughs> what the fish say when it ran into a wall? Damn. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Love it. I'll be, I'll be here uh, every Monday for until they fire <laughs> Um, so, so the cidery. Tell me a little about the. Yeah. Is it you guys are commercially making cider? No, uh, just for friends and family. Okay, about 140 gallons just for personal use. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, Very you fun. know our little foray into production made us decide that production's cool, but it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Sure. Yeah. Kind of see the theme here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we decided, wow, you know, our commercial kitchen's a really good teaching space. You know, making yeah. making cider for ourselves is really fun. And <laughs> we teach people, too. We tag it on to the fermentation. So we'll do a couple of days of vegetables and then they do cheese or cider. Mm -hmm. when, did they, when did the first book come out, Fermented Vegetables? October uh, 2014. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. Did you go straight into this next chapter of, proverbial chapter of life? Many chapters of it being fiery <laughs> ferments. Quite long, yeah. A lot of chapters <laughs> in fiery chapter ferments. There, yeah. <laughs> Not really. Um... So, so fiery came about because uh, of really cannabis 
That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> cannabis, place. Yeah, cannabis grow across the next farm over. They're mm-hmm. they're pulling out. So they said, and they had this beautiful organic soil. And they said, uh, yeah, we got to be out tomorrow. You can grab all the soil you want for a hundred bucks. And so we fired up the dodges, and we spent fourteen hours shoveling soil and pulling it off that farm before they. Wow. Changed owners. And sure. uh, and then, uh, so we were growing peppers. And uh, Kirsten sent me to the Grange to get some peppers, and I got way too many. And uh, the combination of this souped-up cannabis dirt and those pe- too many peppers, we had, like, peppers that were four or five feet tall. Wow. They were so happy. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Awesome. You're talking about the plant, not the peppers, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but a four-foot-tall pepper plant. Puts out a lot of peppers. Yeah, <laughs> really nice peppers. Yeah, so you had all these peppers, so and these so you had to do something with them. Yeah, yeah. we've been throwing around a couple of ideas, you know, about what what is next. What does the next book look like? And um, yeah, we started. We we always ferment a lot of peppers every year because we love a simple pepper mash because there's so much you can do with it. Um, but then when we had so many peppers, it's like how much pepper mash can you really use? So. That's when we started exploring a couple of things. One is just all kinds of condiments and really pushing that condiment thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's kind of the most exciting part for me of this book was taking it from really this idea of fermented salads or krauts and moving into the condiment world. Um, so what happened was we started doing the research, like how did humans get their heat before pepper? And that was a lot of fun to, to think about, okay, so the chili actually didn't hit the scene in Asia or some of the places we think of that have super hot foods until Columbus made his little mistake and, mm-hmm. you know, ran into <laughs> South America. Yeah, actually, can you talk a little bit more about your research process in this book? Because there's a lot of uh, information about like the history of fermentation and the history of all these various spices from all over the world. Uh, can you... Just talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely do you want to talk about it or do you want me so to? Re- research kind of goes uh i'll dig up something that sounds super cool and then w- we have no idea how they did it and so then now the the kitchen's really like a lab for us so then kirsten goes into the kitchen and tries to figure out what did that taste like in 1450 and so long peppers and some of those things galangal root these recipes we would we would find you had no idea really but we we figured they were fermented but um you know there's there was no recipe about how to do that so we had to kind of reinvent what that likely tasted like well and even if they weren't maybe fermented but eaten fresh um adding that layer of fermentation adds Mm -hmm. just such an interesting layer of flavor and complexity so that was a lot of fun it was just taking these old recipes whether they were fermented or not and in some cases it was just medieval spice blends or things like that and seeing what what would happen when we layered on that fermentation where did you find these old recipes and um about these yeah just all over the place just wherever you know obviously the internet is is yeah a land uh, University like libraries. University libraries is a good place. Yeah. Just hit the stacks. We hit yeah. the stacks. <laughs> and then another thing that we we really were playing around with in this book was the Himalayan ferments, the achars, because they're really unique. I was going to ask what are, what is yeah, achar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the the fermenting tradition, the pickle tradition that comes from you know the high mountains in the Himalayas, Nepal. Those areas of India, they have these these pickles, and um, like we have a pickled daikon recipe in there that is 
just amazing because what happens is you, what they did or still do traditionally is they actually dehydrate these pepper or these ingredients first a little bit, like till they're leathery. Okay. So whereas when you're, we're making sauerkraut here and most ferments, it's all about getting as much water and brine as possible, right? So you mm. can really sink it. So with these achars, um, what originally kind of brought me to them is they're really heavy in Szechuan pepper, which is one of the pre and ginger. And these are some of the pre heat things that, that Asia had before that chili pepper came onto the scene. And so there's the, um, that and mustard seed and mustard oil. And so they're using sort of the antifungal properties of the mustard seed and the mustard oil, and some of them have sesame seed in them, so it's a drier ferment, and then they stuck them out in the sun to use the warmth to, to keep get the, el- the lactobacillus going and, and kill off the other things. So it's, it's, a, it's a neat tradition, and it's pretty unique to that area. And with it being drier, does that keep it from going too acidic? Generally, or um, it doesn't get as acetic, but it still has this wonderful pickly flavor. Um, the the cucumber one still ha- it's like there's a a little pickle because you chop it up into diced pieces. It's like there's a little pickle buried in this really unique um, kind of prickly flavor because the um, Szechuan pepper yeah, gives right. you such that prickle. <laughs> So just to be clear, it's achar, the process or what you call that that uh, that group of pickles made in this way, or they kind of together. It's um, it's what the Indian pickles are called now. Okay. So it's it. I think it means pickle, um, okay. or or the process. But yeah, in this Himalayan tradition, that's what I call the process that we use. I don't know if that's completely correct. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, Rachel uh, has been stalking you guys and, and says you guys have lived a lot of different places. Is that true? I wasn't stalking. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing due diligence. <laughs> also, you talk in the book a lot about um, visiting different places as a child. Um, right. uh, yeah, so how has that contributed to, um, to any of the recipes that you have in your book? Um, yeah, my father's an anthropologist, so we did move all over the place. That's awesome. That's yeah. Um, Indonesia. We were on an island in the Spice Islands. Uh, I think, though, for me, it's just a willingness to try things. And, you know, I just love mixing it up with cuisine and and taking things I've had and and putting them together and see what happens. And sometimes it works really well and and sometimes not so much. (laughs) You can change. So I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri. And when I met Kirsten, I ate three vegetables. And one of them only if it was covered in blue cheese dressing. <laughs> so, you know, we meet people all the time that, like, sauerkraut's the first thing they've had, and now they're opening up to this. So, you know, my life changed pretty dramatically. I used to have a great sweet tooth. I love my sweet tooth. I was so proud of my sweet tooth. And then as you eat more fermented vegetables, I lost it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I crave this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a really quick break and come back to you on Ferment About It. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. 
Castor and Pollock scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Welcome back to Fumet About It. We are here in the studio with Kristen Shockey and her husband, Christopher Shockey. <laughs> 214, episode 214, um, uh, talking about the new book, Fiery Ferments. Uh, you were on book tour. Um, we, how did you accidentally uh, find out that fruit f- ferments wonderfully? That what ferments wonderfully? Fruit. Oh, fruit. <laughs> the lore goes of Kristen Shockey that, that, uh, that accidentally found out that fruit... fruit Ferments wonderfully. Fruit what was this happy accident that, that <laughs> Rachel speaks it, of? Yeah. <laughs> I know that I think dried fruit ferments <laughs> wonderfully. Um, and maybe that's what we're thinking about here. Um, so the dried fruit is amazing because if you want a sweetness, if you want to bring those sugars into your ferment and you don't want the lactobacillus to acidify them, you put the dried fruit in and for some reason it it holds that sweetness. So when you're wanting, you know, that chutney flavor, raisins or um, pineapple, yeah, dried pineapple. pineapple, not the sugary kind. You have to get the, you know, the real just dried stuff. But it will, the dried pineapples, right? Mm-hmm. It makes a, a wonderful flavor. Where are your favorite sources for such things? You know, we're really lucky in Southern Oregon. We have just couple of wonderful co-ops so mm-hmm. i just go to the go to the bulk bins and and find it find the dried fruits yeah. find the dried fruits are there any any favorite combos of, of types of peppers and types of fruits that uh that you have that you really dig like as a as a brewer we often have habanero mango and pineapple yeah. Yeah. Uh, infusions with ipas that are already kind of at they, there's a dance that happens quite lovely yeah that was that was what there's a, a vanilla habanero in there and yeah. then Kristen would do a pineapple reduction, add that to that, and then put that over a really good vanilla ice cream. And, oh, my oh, God. You get, <laughs> you get the ice cream and the hot. You get the, mm-hmm. yeah, dopamine. Or, uh, yeah, pineapple, it works works super well. I mean, there's just even a plain pepper mash with a little pineapple in it mm-hmm. is surprisingly good. So sounds like the same. <laughs> What does it mean to be a fermented hot sauce? What's the minimum uh, time of fermentation? What is the process of making a fermented hot sauce or a fiery ferment? Uh, just basic. You you can go area. one of yeah. You can go there two ways. You can either uh, dry dry brine it, so you're making it like a sauerkraut. You're chopping up the peppers and then adding the salt and just like a, like you would a sauerkraut basically, and keep ever that all that below the brine line and then. Depending later, if you're going to do it to a sauce, then you're just going to blend it up and mm-hmm. uh, strain it out and do it that way. Or you could start out uh, brining your peppers first and uh, then taking it from there. Like and, a pickling, yep. sinking like a pick- the whole peppers in with the brine, mm-hmm. which works really nicely with um, dried chipotle peppers. As you can, yeah. you can put them in a little jar, you know, leave a little space for expansion, but put that salt brine in there with some garlic and just... You know, forget about it for a few weeks, and then and then blend all that up, and you just have this wonderful smoky 
sour hot sauce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. you do that at ambient temperature, right? Mm-hmm. Room temperature, yeah, 72. Yeah, room temperature. Um, the unique thing about hot sauce, or peppers, and I don't know quite the science. I've been told it's the alkaloids. But, you know, a, a sauerkraut, if you were to leave it out beyond two, three months, you're all those um, carbs will have been consumed by the lactobacillus, and it just starts getting a flat, sour, and dull, and then it just doesn't seem lively anymore. Um, but the hot sauces, they can go a couple of years, and they still will, mm. will layer on more and more interesting flavors. And a lot of people know this, but some people don't, but Tabasco sauce starts out as a fermented pepper mash in oak barrels, and they ferment it for... Two to, two to three years, I've heard. Oh. So, yeah, peppers are unique that way, but it's done as soon as it's acidic. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, um, there's a lot of different kinds of hot peppers on various ranks of the Scoville scale. Um, are there any that you guys have found in, like, making this book or in your own cooking experiences that, are, like, have the most range of, of flavor combinations or just make the most interesting things? Yeah, what do you think? You know, I love... Habaneros, I know they're super hot, and um, but I like to dial them up or down. We can you can put a if you can do straight habanero mash, but if you only want a little bit of that flavor, then you can um, put it with a bell pepper, like a yellow bell pepper, and you can you can mix it up. What I like about them is they've got this great sweetness. And they also, the burn comes on a little bit delayed. So you think you've got this, and then it starts building. You think I'm fine. Pile yeah. this on. It's and good. then, I mean, it's, you know, jalapenos. They just always work. So it's the those basic peppers. But then I think for a mash. Fresnos are nice. The Fresnos are our favorite. Fresnos, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not familiar with Fresnos. They're kind of in the same heat range as a jalapeno, but they're a beautiful bright red. They've got a little mm. more sweetness. Um mm. We see them this time of year, so August, September, at the markets. But the rest of the year, they're not really around. So they're not real popular yet, I guess. <laughs> we start out making a gallon jar, or actually two gallon jars. And then as we eat down, you know, then it becomes the two quart and then the one right. quart. And about the bad time is about May when I'm down to like a pint or a half <laughs> pint. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Uh, what is the shelf life on, on a fermented hot sauce? So in the refrigerator, um, we have actually some that we have since about 2010, and we just are leaving it there and seeing what happens. And right now it's still perfectly fine. So the refrigerated shelf life is really long. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I don't think I've had a hot sauce go yet since I've been doing yeah. this. Uh but if you want to make it more shelf-stable and get that fermentation to stop, what you can do is that's when you can add a little bit of a nice vinegar. And we talk a little bit about blending in the book. Um, so you've got your pepper mash, and if you want to make Christmas presents or something, then you can add that little bit of vinegar, and then it won't be as um, bubbly if you take it out of the refrigerator. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you might get the pH down to just a more stable. A little place, bit more, not yeah. slowing everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to... For, you know, from your first book to this book and talk you have vast experience in, in fermenting vegetables of all kind is there a difference or a, is it easier or harder or different or the same to to go the pepper route and if so or if anything for what reason 
I think for the dry mat, the the dry, it's just there are smaller pieces and they want to float to the top. So there's a little more management to it. You know, you don't have a larger pieces like a kimchi that's going to kind of knit together. Instead, you've got the pieces that are always trying. You're, just, you're constantly facing the, everything wants to float to the top. Right. Um, but we give some hints over the years of how to deal with that. So there's a little bit more management, I'd say, on the peppers. For uh, some of them, yeah. But not really. But not really. I mean, it's still, the process is still just pretty basic, you mm-hmm. know? Shred, salt, submerge, right. <laughs> you know, keep it under the brine, <laughs> yeah. and you're in good shape. So that part is is cool. It's it's really just as simple. So if you want to eat ferments, but you hate sauerkraut, or you never want to eat cabbage, then you can still have them every day. Go, go straight <laughs> to go straight to fiery fermented exactly. fermentation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with your fiery fermentations, do you have any favorite recipes uh, or favorite? Uh, well, the places. Vin- yeah, so I like, th- I'm a little hotter than Kirsten on the scale there, so I like things that are just at the level where I can still taste it, um, mm-hmm. but that I pay for it the next day. It just, it's kind right. of weird. Right. So, Fair. Um, so the vanilla habanero that we talked about, for mm-hmm. me, that's one that I can I can pretty much hit, hit that one a little bit straight, um, and I love that. I also love the chipotle stuff, anything that's smoky, I love. The gochujang. Go to John. Yeah. So that, that it's like the, you know, that thick, um, it's the rich chili paste for kimchi. Yeah. 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 And that, so that's good. really nice. And it, we've had some that have been fermenting for a couple of years and they just get more and more interesting. And it's, you know, like a catch up with a, with a kick. That's pretty fun. <laughs> were there any recipes that you were like hesitant on including, or were there any recipes that just didn't quite work out that you wanted to put in, but you couldn't? Um, I feel like in the the world of the achars, mm-hmm. you know, that, that some of the flavors were so unique that um, I just wasn't sure the American palate was right. was quite ready for some of those flavors. A little and loud. A little loud, a little funky. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's... And then cinnamon. I just kept wanting cinnamon to do something cool. But um, cinnamon gets... Because it is a, it is a way that we we get heat in our in our palate so mm-hmm. as far as pre-chili heat cinnamon would be great right but not so much it gets you know how when cinnamon gets too wet it gets sort of or too much it gets sort of gelatinous mm-hmm. and slimy and i did not know that yeah <laughs> and i think that's why people can put water in with it and make these little like cookies yeah. and things with it just for decoration because it gets like glue uh, <laughs> but they end like with this yeah, <laughs> and, and I it, don't know how to put that in words, but yeah, on radio it sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> it got metallic too in the chilies, and yeah. and the only recipe there is one cinnamon recipe in there, and it worked with um, quince, believe it or not, with quince, mm. with quince. So the fruit was able to temper that thing, but the chilies it got metallic and weird and. So, yeah, cinnamon. Yes, hot I, cinnamon. Wa- I really wanted more from cinnamon. <laughs> mm-hmm. You guys are continuing with uh, with local education and, and, and seminars and classes and, and all, along with this book tour, but also in your hometown, right? How do people find out about it? Uh, they can go to ferment.works, our website. And, uh, in fact, uh, a week from this weekend, we're having an intensive. We still have a couple seats left. People come in. We start Friday afternoon. Um, people stay locally, and uh, we'll feed them th- at least three courses, all ferments. 
some mm -hmm. local ciders and beers and wines, depending on what they want. And then it's, um, yeah, two full days in the kitchen, just chopping away, making making things. And, uh, yeah, we also have on our website, ferment.works, we have um, a free e-course. And really? it's sort of a seven-day little thing with grocery lists and just make it as easy as possible. Because yeah. um, I think that's what we found over the years is that's what people want to do this so badly and yeah. just that so we just are trying to find ways to kind of kick kick start it for folks and and for some people it's that for some people um you know it's it's actually coming and spending time with with real people <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like doing it just enriches one's life like to feel part of it and, and to be making things I mean yeah certainly for sure and um, that's actually the most fun to see happening in the classes is you get people from all over the country and diverse backgrounds but they totally bond on this particular subject and by the end it's like they're a little cohort of fermenting buddies and I know they keep in touch not necessarily with us but <laughs> right. yeah and you don't have to I mean you don't have to do it commercially uh, to enjoy it or to, mm -hmm. to even be I mean that's part of I mean, it's fermentation is part of every culture around the world for centuries. And, um, but do you have any students that, uh, that you're proud of that have gone commercial kind of thing? Um, yeah. That you know? Uh, this last class, we had um, the head chef from Facebook for Raw. She serves like 550 plates a day in the cafeteria. Oh, wow. Okay. So she came up to get inspiration. And I think by day two, it looked like her head was going to explode. She had so many ideas. And by day sure. three, she was already kicked in. And we saw some we saw some great stuff. She's She got a, uh, a fermentation station in Facebook's cafeteria. Nice. And the last we heard... It's been so popular, they're sending her to Ireland to set up uh, fermentation in Ireland as a Facebook what? page. That's, that's yeah, fantastic. So. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So. You guys are making lives taste better. <laughs> there you go. Online. <laughs> <laughs> lives online. Yeah. And offline. Yeah. And offline. Um, tell me about, I want to go back to your ciders, man. Uh, to, to, <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't know about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> So what, when you, what when kind you of said, apples? Yes, when you said uh, fermenting fruits, like, oh, we're going to have to talk about dry ferment, but I love to ferment real fruit, but I just like to skip to the alcohol side. <laughs> so we actually have his and her fermentation caves Okay, okay. Uh, right. that we build into the hillside. And uh, yeah, and so I do my ciders. If you step into the kitchen to the left. We'll come back to the, I, the fact that there are caves that you've built into this <laughs> in, in a second. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of a problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And when so, foodies have too much land, it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, so on the left, if you step to the left, you've got ciders. You step to the right, there was sauerkrauts, and and mostly we never got in each other's way. I uh, I got a bad uh, um, infestation from her side once. Um, a lactobacillus. Uh, I got some stringy stuff going on in my ciders, mm -hmm. but I got her back one time because I had all my apples in there sweating. Mm -hmm. before we did it and some of the enzymes somehow got into the fermentation cave and we had 10 gallons of uh leek what was it leek it was pepper? a it was just lemon dill kraut lemon dill basic basic kraut and i'm i'm getting ready to jar 10 gallons and it's it's butter it's wow. just it's you know it actually tasted pretty good i mean yeah. we didn't keep it because yeah I think what pain. do you do with that i mean kraut butter's not a thing Right. It can be. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever be a thing. <laughs> Something tells you this is not right. So occasionally we, we hardly ever cross over, but yeah, so the ciders well, are. And what he's not telling you is I have to kind of go filch some of his cider 
to make oh. vinegar. Ah, yes. Well, well that's Because, right? You have yes. to have good, good alcohol to make good vinegar. Absolutely. <laughs> this is as close as we get to marital strife. Because uh, <laughs> she wants a good cider to make vinegar. But it's like, we never negotiate ahead of time well enough. Because if the cider's really good, it's like, baby, we can't make that into vinegar. And she's right. like, we said six <laughs> gallons goes to vinegar. It's like, I'm trying to renegotiate really badly. <laughs> well, at least you're not accidentally letting it go to vinegar. At least you're doing it deliberately in most cases. In most yeah. cases. Judging yeah. by that face. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that is <definitely> correct. <laughs> um, do you ever put uh, hot, uh, hot peppers in your cider? You got some flavored ciders? You ever toy with that? And what apples have you grafted on your line? Um, we haven't done the peppers yet, but we're obviously going to do that this year. We grew a lot of hops on the south side of the house just to keep oh. the, the house cool. And so we've done a lot of hops. Mm-hmm. It's Pacific Northwest, so hops sure, goes with just about anything. But yeah, so we've done a lot of hop cider. And uh, yeah, we're going to do chili. Chili's next. Um, so what? So apples, we live about four hour, three hours away from a fellow who collected apples. Um, he's He's in his early 90s now and I kind of see it as an as an arc of apples up there he's he's 4,000 varieties from all over the world so in about about 2007 so a few years before we built the commercial Christian we went up there and we just hung out and walked these orchards with this guy and and it was awesome and we found some really great varieties now there's a kind called um a red streak Mm -hmm. and it's it was one of the premier cider apples, and it's questionable if this is the red streak of, what is it, the 15th, 16th century? But um, it is a red streak, and so it's supposed to be a wonderful cider apple. So we've got some of those. We've got a lot of russets, um, some nice crabs to get those tannins in. Mm-hmm. And we've got two trees on the property that have came up since we were there. They make a, it's a yellow crab, but pretty good size. And um, just up the road is... Um, Apple Outlaw. This is it's a cidery, uh, and so we we sent some of those up there. They aged them for almost two years in uh, oak barrels, and it's got that scrumpy well, thing going on, yeah. and it's ten percent <laughs> alcohol, and oh it is gosh. it is. Was it a bourbon or whiskey barrels? What whiskey barrels, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it is just the the most to die for cider ever. So I'm protecting those trees. I mean, sure. so they call them the shocky crabs. <laughs> shocky crabs, nice. I mean, Oregon is, a, is really cider-friendly. There's over yeah. 80, 85, over, like, far beyond that now, probably. Two years ago, there was just 80, 85 cideries. Just 80. Just I 80, know. right. So <laughs> pretty awesome that that exists. So have you then uh, fermented apples and, and peppers? Uh, and is there an apple and pepper fiery ferment? That would be brilliant. No, that'll be this year. To come. <laughs> there you can finally find a place for a cinnamon, maybe. Cinnamon, uh, cinnamon, there you cinnamon, go, cinnamon, yeah. Cinnamon, apple, pepper. The, did the quince. Did it work? I did, I did try pears, and um, and uh, that that wasn't as yummy. No? I yeah. did, did pears, dried pears, and fresh pears with lots of chilies, and we ate it. <laughs> didn't make the recipe yeah, book. <laughs> didn't make the recipe book. The recipe book named Fiery Ferments and available where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, Everywhere good books are sold. Kirsten Shockey and Christopher Shockey. Uh, and the website is? Ferment.works. Ferment.works. Thank you so much for it's joining us on yeah, Ferment about it. It's been wonderful. I'm, I'm excited about tonight's event, too. What, tell us what you're doing tonight at tonight's event. Um, we are going to talk about making hot sauce and we're going to demonstrate the basically three different ways to get to uh, pepper mash with with fresh and dried peppers 
And we're going to do a lot of tasting because we mm-hmm. carry those things we with us do. everywhere we go. So. And TSA loves us. I <laughs> <laughs> have arrows everywhere. <laughs> we're delighted and excited to host it. Uh, mm-hmm. Cheers and fun about it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>